I'm glad you're here. I do hope that you will join us on Wednesday evening for Activate. Uh, we started this last Wednesday night. I had a great time. Uh, it was a blessing. And so if you missed it, again, I, I talked about it last week. I know what a sacrifice it is, especially for parents who have young children. We're all busy. Um, but I think you'll find it worth it. So join us on Wednesday nights at 6.30. And uh, we will be discussing... It's really a workshop for what we discuss on Sunday morning. So what I'm preaching on this morning will be workshopped, so to speak, uh, this Wednesday night. So take good notes, pay attention, although I know you always do. And uh, we're going to talk about what does it mean to be activated in God's kingdom. In other words, our premise is this. God didn't come just to save you so that when you die, you'll go to heaven rather than hell. Now... I think that's a good thing. I'd rather go to heaven than hell. Anybody? Some of you not so sure, uh, depending on who's going to be there, uh, that kind of thing. But God, we believe, saved us for a life of fully activated, fully engaged, fully um, involved life now. Paul says this in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, why? Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There is power in the Word of God. There is power in the gospel that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then later in Ephesians, I don't have this passage up here, but in Ephesians 1, Paul prays this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened or enlightened, that you can know the hope to which he has called you, uh, is his incomparably great power that is available to who? Us, those who believe. That power is like when he raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, Paul is saying the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, the power that is the gospel is available to you and me. We have it in us, and he, we want our, the eyes of our heart opened so we can know this power. People, this is really incredible news if you think about it. You were dead before. Now you're more than alive. You've got the power of God residing within you. God wants to see that power fully activated for his kingdom's sake. So, for instance, there are a lot of passages uh, that are on there. Uh, uh, there are a lot of passages that are uh, refer to this, but here are just a couple. Uh, it says in 2 Timothy 1, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. Paul is encouraging Timothy to do what? God's placed this gift within you, this power within you. Let's see it fully activated for, for a sink, fan into flame, that which God has given you. In Matthew 5, 14 through 16, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Same idea to me. You are light. You are salt. Use what God has placed within you. People, this is critical. This is critical. And I, not, I, I want to encourage you to understand that you are light, right? You don't have to light the light. You don't, have to, you don't have to create the light. 
God says, you're light. So what is your part? Going to let my little light shine. Yeah, yeah, we could just have a, Mitch, get back up. Where do you go? <laughs> we have a gospel sing of uh, let your light shine. God, God wants us to be fully activated for his kingdom. Why is it then that we're not? Doesn't that raise the question a little bit to say, okay, fan into flame, light the light, salt the earth, whatever analogy you want to use, let the power of God move. Why are we then not? One of the reasons I would contend is because we are so damaged. In, in our own flesh, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, many of us come with baggage that's immense, mental emotional, spiritual, physical baggage. And at some point, for many of us, the baggage is so overwhelming that we can't see ourselves any way other than the way we see ourselves. Are you with me? In other words, we, we think of us as this. I'm this damaged thing. And God wants to say to you, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You are more than you appear. In 1 Thessalonians 5.23, I don't know why there's something right in the middle of my screen. Um, Michelle, is there a cursor there? Or is that just my only, uh, I'm probably the only one who's annoyed by it. <clears throat> Ignore it. Yeah, good luck doing that the rest of the service now that I've pointed it out to you, right? First <laughs> Thessalonians 5.23, it says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless into, at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul paints this picture of us as being made up of body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And the idea is this. Every one of you, there's a spirit in a man and a woman. We have a spirit. But that spirit is darkened by sin. But when we come to know Jesus Christ, his presence, the spirit of God, the power of God comes to dwell in us. So that the Holy Spirit now indwells our heart. No longer are we darkened by sin. His power is in us. Then there's the soul area of the light of our life, and then there's the body. Well, Watchman Nee, in his book, The Normal Christian Life, he divides the soul arena of our lives into three different areas, our mind, our will, and our emotions. What we think, how we feel, how, we, how we're determined. And it's in the soul area of our lives that many of us operate. I mean, we, our, how we think, how we feel, that's where most of our life functions. And as a result, we view ourselves from a soulish perspective rather than a spiritual perspective. It's why we can be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, even though we may not think or act like the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because God sees us from a spiritual perspective because his power now indwells us. I could do a whole teaching on this whole diagram. I've done it in the past, but just to save a little time, for many of us, let's say that I want to change the way I am. 
Let's say that I have a bad habit. Let's say, for instance, that um, I can't guard my words. I have an, I, I'm angry, and as a result, when I'm angry, I say things that I shouldn't say. So how do we change? Well, for most of us, we say, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to get... I'm going to get a rubber band. I'm going to put it around my wrist. And every time I get angry and I start to say a bad word or say something bad to someone, I'm going to pop this uh, rubber band. And, and it, so it'll remind me not to say a bad word. So I'm popping myself as I pop off, so to speak. Uh, and, and so hopefully over time what will happen is this, bad, this reminder, this pain thing that I'm enduring on my body will change the way I think and my emotions so that it changes who I am. So to me, this is an outside-in kind of opportunity to change. It's behavioral therapy. Where it was said, which is, there's a place for that in some senses, but what it's saying is, I want to change from the outside-in. I'm going to start with what I'm doing, try and stop it, and if I stop it over a long enough period of time, maybe I won't want to do it, and then when I don't want to do it anymore, that I'm changed. Think of any bad habit you're trying to get rid of. Um, any, you know, you want to quit smoking, you want to quit this, you want to quit that. You, most of us try to change from the outside in. And here is the way we are activated in God's kingdom. We are changed from the inside out. Now, this is dramatic, people. God has placed his very power within you. How do I start thinking differently? I realize I have the mind of Christ. So I tap into the power of God that is available within me to change me, to heal me, to, to alter me, so that then ultimately I change how I am. So when Paul says things like, hey, no, you know, no so-and-so is going to inherit the kingdom of God, he doesn't mean, hey, what you got to do is you got to become not a so-and-so. You can't do these things if you want to inherit the kingdom of God. I think what he's saying is this. If you are a part of the kingdom of God, you're not going to be that. Why? Because the Spirit of God is changing you from the inside out. His presence indwells us and infills us and changes us. And one of the areas that is critical for who we are is the way we feel. The emotional makeup of our lives now, you know, I know that there are some people who are more emotional than others, at least outwardly. But I would contend that we are all emotional beings. And what we feel about ourselves and our relationship to God and our relationship with others dramatically, and I don't just mean dramatically, I mean forever changes who we are and how we respond to people. If we're going to be activated, fully activated for God's kingdom, then I believe there are many of us, even here today and within God's kingdom, who need our emotions healed. Emotionally damaged people don't think right about themselves, and they don't respond well to others accurately because they're viewing everything through their emotionally damaged perspective. And, and I want to say to you today, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to stay there. You can be healed. If any of this is true, that God can change us, the power of God is the salvation for everyone who believes, 
I believe that the power of God is the salvation for your damaged emotions. I believe he can heal them. And, and the same thing the way you think, your, your mental capacity. I believe God's power is there to heal and to set right. In, in the second American invasion of Iraq, a group of soldiers set out to go to a local mosque. And they were there to uh, visit with one of the clerics at the mosque in order to get his wisdom on how they could distribute relief supplies to the area. Well, when they walk into the village and they ask for this local cleric near the mosque, all these armed soldiers, the people think that they're there to arrest their cleric rather than to get his advice. And so suddenly, out of nowhere, an angry mob surrounds the troops who are there. They're yelling things. They're getting more agitated. At this point, the commanding officer, a Lieutenant Colonel Christopher Hughes, thought very fast, and he picks up a, a loudspeaker, and he says to his men, take a knee. And then he tells them to point their weapons toward the ground and then to look at the people and smile. Now, his soldiers did all of these things. They followed orders, did exactly. As they smiled, it was as if the, the, the atmosphere of the whole place changed. Suddenly, these, the people who were angry are smiling back, though some are still shouting. They even start to pat the soldiers on the back, and the lieutenant colonel then tells his men to just slowly back out of the situation. Now, I would say, here's what takes place in that kind of setting, and see if you can follow me just for a minute. I would say that the, the lieutenant colonel quickly appraises the situation and evaluates the emotional state and the misunderstanding of the people and then has to have the trust, emotional trust of his men in order for them to follow what he's doing in order to diffuse this situation. This emotional connection with people, not just in his mind, but to be able to sense what will change the mood, the emotion here, changed what could have been a very tragic situation into something that wasn't. For us as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to model Jesus, right? I mean, I think it's a pretty easy call. We know we're to be followers of Jesus and to model him. Look at how Jesus handles a similar angry situation. It says, at dawn, he appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the groups and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stopped down, stooped down, and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, 
the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, why, where are they? No one, has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. <clears throat> Jesus demonstrated to us um, in this passage, for instance, and many other places, an incredible ability to not just think quickly, but an, order, uh, an ability to connect with people. In other words, how did, he, how did he diffuse this dangerous situation? He did it because he knew what to say to the angry people, and he knew how to show empathy to the hurting woman, and he knew at the same time how to challenge her to speak the truth in love. In other words, all of these dynamics are going on at the same time in a way that when it works, it changes things. It changes things. And so here's what I want to do with us this morning in these points. I, I want to talk about how was Jesus able to function in this way? Now, I know that the easy way to cop out is, oh, he's God. He's, he had an advantage. He was God. I don't have that advantage, so I can't do it. Let me just tell you that that's not the way. Jesus was fully man, and he only did what he saw the Father doing and heard him saying to them. In other words, he fully functioned as a man in a way that the power of God, he was dependent on the power of God. He demonstrated for us what does it mean to live the Spirit-filled life and to, to change who we are. And, and I want to say, using the Sermon on the Mount as a backdrop, to just go through five different ways that, that Jesus was able to connect with people, and that when we fully activated with these things in a healthy way, we can connect better with people as well. I think it'll make sense. I hope so. If not, we'll straighten it out later. First is this, be aware of God and yourself. Be aware of God and yourself. Time and time again, we see Jesus with this incredible sense of self-awareness. He knew who he was. He knew why he was there. I mean, there's so many instances in the Bible where we can look at this. Age of 12, he's in the temple courts. His parents have left him. They come back. What are you still doing here? And he's like, hey, I got to be about my father's business. He knew who he was and why he was there. In the temptation experience, the devil comes to Jesus and tries to tempt him and throws out things to him. Hey, I know you're hungry. Turn these rocks into bread. Hey, I know, you know, people will, uh, to throw yourself down from this pinnacle, people will worship you when they see you flying. Um, worship me and I'll give you all the corn. Jesus was tempted by the devil in many of the same ways we were tempted. But what does he do? He, he's so aware of himself and even his own weakness at this point that he doesn't say, hey, no, 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 I'm strong enough to stand it. He quotes the word of God back to the devil. He, he, he's so aware of the circumstance and situation that instead of depending on himself, and he was, he was a smart guy. 
I mean, he was a strong guy. I mean, right? He still depends on the word of God. People who have an accurate awareness of themselves are able to function in a way that's healthy. It's when we, are, we don't have a proper awareness of who God is and who we are in Him that I believe that we start to stumble. We start to have problems. We start to have difficulties. See, many of you, many of us, I, I would say all of us at some point, have an inaccurate awareness of who we are. We, we, again, going back to what I was saying at the first, we think of ourselves in a certain way. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this. He says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, hey, plank eye, you got a problem. You're not aware of the plank sticking out of your eye. You, do you understand? This is the picture. Hypocrisy is the picture of a person who is painfully unaware of themselves. They don't know who they are in him. And many of the problems we have emotionally connecting with people and our, emotionally, our emotional health comes because we have a lack of self-awareness and God-awareness in him. I'll give you an example how, just a story. A man named John had a convertible that he loved to drive. And it was kind of the highlight of his day to come home from, to the house, get that convertible, drive it around the block a couple of times, and then park it. One day after he drove his convertible around or as he was driving, a guy runs a stop sign and runs into John and his beautiful convertible. And when he does, John barely holds it together. As the policeman comes, as he talks to this guy, he barely can control himself. But when he goes home, he drives up into the driveway. His son's bike is sitting in the drive. He walks into the house. His son is playing video games. He berates his son for playing video games, not taking care of his stuff, not doing what he told him to do and put his bike away. And he sends his son up to his room and says, you go to your room immediately, no food for you. You stay there the rest of the night. He goes into the kitchen. He, he, he sees his wife arranging flowers. And as she's arranging flowers, he says, where's dinner? And she goes, well, it'll be here shortly. And then he berates her for not having dinner ready when he is hungry. And that he, he basically says, you know how I am when I get hungry. You know how I, how I get headaches and lose it. And I expect dinner to be ready. You don't work all day. And he just goes off on her. Now, see, John, to me, at this point, is totally unaware of himself. This has nothing to do with his son's bike. This has nothing to do with the food. This has to do with some yahoo ran a stop sign and hit his beloved convertible. And he's angry about it, and his anger is misplaced toward his child and his wife. Why? Because of his lack of self-awareness. How do we change our thoughts about ourselves? <clears throat> I'm going to keep coming back to this. 
in these points, but we do it by becoming aware of what God says about us in his word. If we truly believe the Bible is the word of God, then when he says, Chris Kuhn, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Chris is the righteousness of God. Now, Chris can either believe what he thinks about himself or what God says about him. If you're going to be fully activated, then at some point you've got to start believing what God says about you. And I would say God is there to heal the damaged view that you have of yourself. Because I know you didn't just plop down here out of nowhere. You plopped down here today after having gone through a family that they told you you were dumb or you're ugly or you're fat or you're skinny or you're too tall or you're too short or your ears are too big or your neck is too long or you're, something is wrong. You understand? And so you have this view of yourself based on what others have told you and it's caused damage to you. You think this is who I am. And I want to say God has got a better, bigger, blessed view of you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How do we, how do we activate that? We start in faith to believe that what God says is true. By the Spirit of God in us, we become aware of a greater God and a more powerful self. Everything I'm going to say from here on out really depends on this area of self-awareness. If you have a bad view of yourself and God, then none of these other things are going to be in order either. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad you came? I hear some good news. You can be changed. We can be changed by the power of God that indwells us. This is the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation, sanctification, for being made right in him. All right, second thing, and we'll move through these a little quicker. Jesus not only was totally aware of himself and his God, but he, he was also a man of compassion. He was a man, a person of compassion. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He, he, he ministered life to those on the margins of society. The woman caught in adultery that we've talked about. Jesus was caught in this dilemma between demonstrating compassion and speaking truth. I mean, the word did say, hey, if you're caught in adultery, and she was caught in the act of adultery. This was not like one of these fake things. I mean, she was guilty. But Jesus was able to navigate this situation. One of the reasons was because he had empathy toward people. He could demonstrate compassion to those around him. By the way, Demonstrating compassion is different than just having sympathy. See, demonstrating compassion means I actually do something. Sympathy is, um, is an emotion alone. It's, it's, it's the thought, the tears, maybe even the words, but demonstrating compassion is doing something. So Robin Shannon just got back from Houston uh, we took up an offering last week. I think we raised like fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500. We gave them more than half of it um, uh, to, to bless. But they loaded up a truck and went to Houston, and they demonstrated compassion. They gave, they gave away. They, they viewed. Now, again, let me go back to the self-awareness, connect this with you real quick. A person who's damaged in their self-awareness 
one of the things about them generally is they are only concerned with themselves because they keep viewing everything through this warped perspective of self. How can you demonstrate compassion to others if all you're concerned about is getting yours, about yourself? Jesus says, again, uh, these passages I'm using to demonstrate this teaching on Jesus is in the Beatitudes. They are blessed to show mercy to others, for God will show mercy to them. Blessed are the merciful. We need to show mercy. When Jesus is asked, um, who's my neighbor? He gives this parable, which we know is the Good Samaritan. Uh, Samaritans and Jews hated each other. He gave that story that you're well aware of. Who was the neighbor? The one who showed compassion. By that I mean he saw the hurting man. He took him to a day's end. He got him set up, breakfast buffet, brought the doctor in. I mean, he took care of him. He's the one who demonstrated compassion. He was the neighbor. If we're going to be fully activated in reaching our city, I believe one of the things that drew people to Jesus was his incredible compassion. We need to show compassion. We need to get out outside ourselves in order to, to do that. Show compassion. Hey, by the way, if you want to continue to give to Hurricane Relief, just mark your checks, Hurricane Relief. You want to say Texas, Florida, wherever the next hurricane may strike, because there'll be another one. Uh, but we want to help any way we can. If anybody wants to go down to Florida and help my dad rebuild the dock, I'll cut you loose. So, because his dock got, about a third of it got destroyed. He can't sell the property now because his dock is damaged. So if anybody knows anything about rebuilding docks, I got a place for you to stay in Jacksonville, Florida. That would be just a... All right. Show compassion. Third is this. Walk in authority. Walk in authority. Jesus was different than any of the other teachers of his day. Why? Because he talked as one who had authority. Everybody else just quoted everybody else. But Jesus spoke as if he actually knew this God that he was talking about. See, when you know who you are and who God is, and you're a person of compassion, then you can also be one who speaks, not, here's the thing, we, we connect authority with aggression. We think of being a person in authority means I'm aggressive. No, walking in authority just means I'm under authority. I know whose I am and who I belong to, and therefore I can speak in a way that represents the one who sent me. We walk in authority. I'll just give you an example. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. You know it as the Lord's Prayer. He says, this is then how you should pray. Now, look at it. These are not necessarily requests. These are imperative statements. Do, do you know the difference? One is saying, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or let your name be great, Lord, maybe. It's a statement. He is great. His name is great. And first of all, he just starts off by even saying, our Father who art in heaven. The idea to the Jewish mindset that a sovereign God could be their father 
showed a self-awareness that was unbelievable. And then look at the rest of these statements. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do you understand? These are all statements, not requests. Now, in the statement, there is a request. But what I'm saying is, it is an assertive understanding our relationship with God, which then leads us to walk in his authority. Here's the idea. Think of this spectrum of who you are and how you, you, you have this desire in your heart. You, you have a passion. How, let's just get personal just for a second. Husband and wife, you want to share with um, wife, you want to share with your husband about um, the mess that is the clothing situation in your bedroom, right? Your bedroom's a mess because his clothes are everywhere. H how are you going to talk to him about this situation? Well, you cannot talk to him at all. You could just be passive. I'm just going to suck it up. I'll pick up the stinking clothes. I won't say anything. And this anger starts to build within you over a long period of time because you're, you're picking up his clothes time and time and you're being a doormat, so to speak, passive. Or you're being aggressive. And aggressive is demanding your way. Aggressive is saying, you will pick up these clothes. And if you don't pick up these clothes, then you're not going to get any dinner or something else. You're, you know, it's a deal bargaining thing. You're, you're being aggressive. And by the way, then there's passive aggressive, which is a whole nother thing. That's looking like you're passive, but you're being aggressive. Like, I'm not going to talk to him again until those clothes are picked up. And then, let me, let me just say too, women, if you think he's going to pick up on that clue, he has no idea why you're not talking to him. Matter of fact, he might even be happy about it. Hey, I'm liking, I'm liking the quiet in the home. <laughs> in between, in between, there is a healthy place to live called assertiveness. Assertiveness is the ability to accurately and emotionally aware ask for what you need in a way that the other person can receive it. Something like, hey, honey, you know what, when... When clothes are all over the floor, I get, I get uh, emotionally, it bothers me. I get anxious. I can't explain why it just is like this. Would you help me by picking up the clothes? Would you? You can say it in a way that he'll receive it and not be offended and not be nagged, not be helped. But will be, you can communicate. Same thing with husbands to your wives. Same thing with the, anywhere you go. You're going you're gonna to have conversations. Walking in healthy authority is not being aggressive and demanding and pushing, nor is it being a doormat. It's, it's being able to say what you believe. And only a, a, an emotionally healthy person can do this. Speak the truth in love. 
How do you speak the truth in love? You speak it because you're, it's what Jesus did with the woman that day. He spoke to the crowd and to her. He didn't let her off the hook. He said to her, hey, go, sin no more. Some, some reports believe she becomes one of his primary followers. She repents. She changes her life. She, some people have, uh, have said this may be Mary Magdalene. Who, who knows? In, in any case, Jesus spoke the truth to them and to her because he was a man under authority. He was a, he was a person who was healthy. Okay, third. No, wait. Fourth. Good news. We're closer to the end than you thought. Fourth. Practice abundance. Practice abundance. What, by that, I mean many people, many people, what do they practice most of their life? They practice fear. They live in a place called fear. And they operate in this place called fear. But God came to, to free us from our fears and to help point us toward the abundant life that he's provided for us. Now, for us, we live in a society and in a place of abundance. Um, even if you think you're lacking in stuff, you don't lack stuff. Where Jesus came to the people he's talking to, they lived during a period of scarcity. When Jesus says to them, don't worry about your food or your clothes, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Why would he say that? Because they had to worry about where food and clothes and stuff were going to come from. It, they couldn't go down to Publix or Walmart or wherever and just buy whatever food and clothing they wanted. You know, our, our, we think we're lacking if, if the Honey Nut Cheerios are out. And I got a, there's still 200 other cereals there. But we act like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die because the Honey Nut Cheerios are gone. Now, they, they were more worried because there was nothing. They lived in a period of scarcity. And so Jesus comes and starts preaching this gospel that says, God's got it. God is in control. He, he loves you. And he would say things like, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to what? The full. Have abundant life. He then says things like this. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be a child of the Most High. Why? Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Even God demonstrates this abundant optimistic view by blessing pouring out his kindness on all it's why jesus in the sermon on the mount in matthew 6 can say to them don't worry about your food or drink what you're going to wear hey look at the lilies of the field doesn't god clothe them look at the sparrows look at the birds god's taking care of them how much more is he going to take care of you instead I lost one passage. It's in Matthew 6.33, it says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping. At, I'm going back. Sorry, I got lost. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Uh, Here's where the Christian church gets whacked out a little bit. It has to do with the whole prosperity doctrine thing. Um, We take Jesus' teachings on, hey, I want you to walk in abundance, emotionally, physically, spiritually, to say God is not a God of scarcity, be optimistic about the future, and we take it and go to the other extreme and say, oh, he's going to give me a new car. He's going to do this. I'm going to be so rich, and God's going to provide what you need, and he's going to provide even more than what you need. It's, it's understanding that I'm a little discombobulated. Let me see if I can bring it to a point. If you know that you live in abundance, then you live open-handed. You're willing to give away, right? Instead, uh, if you think I live in a thing of scarcity and I'm not going to get my own, you shut it down. You shut it down emotionally, you shut it down physically, you shut it down because you're worried that somebody may take. We live, we live as Christian pessimists. We claim to be followers of Christ, but we live in a mentality that says, God won't take care of me tomorrow. Not only is the glass half empty, there's no glass at all. Instead, God wants to say to you, I've got it. I've got it. Walk in faith. How do we do stuff like that? How do we change the way we think? I want to tell you that the way you think and the way you feel and your determination can be changed by the Spirit of God who indwells you. Do things like, look at this passage is so obvious to me. I mean, we all know this passage, but just read it from this God is going to take care of me standpoint. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is that psalm saying? I've got it. God's got it. He's going to take care of you. Live and walk in abundance. And when you do, I think your life will be changed because now you can walk in confidence. You can live a confident life rather than a fearful life. Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in this world you can have peace. Anybody need some peace in their life? Now look what he says after this. In this world you will have You're going to have problems, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus is saying to you, you're going to have stress. Problems raise the stress level of your life. Here's what most of us do. We think, oh, i got a problem. God must not love me anymore. Why? Why do you think that? Oh, because i got problems. If God really loved me, I wouldn't have problems. No, as a matter of fact, God loves you so much, he's sending problems into your life. Why? Because by dealing with problems, they're like the spiritual dumbbells of your life. They will make you stronger. In this world, you're going to have problems. 
So quit trying to arrange your entire life to avoid a problem. I mean, don't go out looking for them. They're going to find you. You you know, it's going to happen. Don't go looking for a fight. But just live the kingdom life and you will have problems. When you face the problem, don't look at it and say, oh, I knew it. God doesn't love me anymore. That's an emotionally damaged person. Instead, in emotional health, understand that God is going to help you move through the problem and you can walk in peace in the middle of it. I I was trying to read this verse earlier. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and everything else is going to be added unto you as well. I'll take care of it. Walk confidently. I'm, I'm out of time. But isn't this good? I think it's good. It's changing my life. I don't know about yours. I just keep preaching to myself. I'll keep amen in myself, so to speak. It's this. Jesus goes across a lake with his followers, many of whom are incredibly experienced fishermen. While he's in the boat, a huge storm comes up to the point that they think they're going to be swamped. A squall comes up. He's with experienced fishermen. Jesus, he's just a carpenter. Where these guys panic and think we're going to die here. And they wake Jesus up. Do you, do you understand? Where's Jesus in the middle of the storm? He's asleep in the back of the boat. He's asleep. He, he's in such peace that the problem is not going to disturb who he is. Now, I I know that for us, can we just get a modicum of that kind of peace? That when the problem comes, that we understand that God has got it. He's in control. On the day that before Jesus is crucified, he is praying in the garden, and he says to the Father, Uh, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, what? Your will be done. He's facing death the next day and and in a painful, I mean, unbelievable 24 to 48 hours that are just going to, but he's saying, I'm going to walk confidently into the face of this because God has got it. How are you going to face your problems? Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, now by the way, this is really important, everyone who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock, the rain came down, the streams rose, you got problems, right? The problems, the storms, they're coming after you. The winds blew and beat against that house, but it didn't fall, why? because it was foundationally secure. We want to walk as Jesus did. And if we're going to do that, then God wants to heal us emotionally. We need to have an accurate view of who we are and who God is in order for that to happen. We need to walk. It allows us to walk in compassion and empathy for others. We can speak and act with godly authority. We can stay free of fear and live with a victorious view. 
We can live lives of confidence, overcoming stress and problems, and not worry. Who wants that kind of life? When my mom passed away, I was at her side about five, six years ago now. And I don't know, I, I don't know about you, but there's something about the death of a parent that, for me, led to really a crisis, so to speak, of confidence. Kind of like sitting back and saying, I wonder if this is all true. You ever have those moments? You just stand back and you say, wow, I, I've given my life to this. I wonder if this is all true. I wonder if my mom is now really in heaven with Jesus. Every single one of us is at times going to go through those circumstances, those situations. And I want to say there's only one place to turn if that happens in your life. And I don't want to say if, but when it happens. And that's to the presence of God that he's placed within you. The spirit of God that dwells within you. At those moments when you, your emotions seem to get shattered or things go wrong in your life, there's only one place to lean into, and that is the Spirit of God in your life. And I want to pray that your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to pray that you would be fully activated for God's kingdom so that we can make a difference in the world around us. Here's what I'm going to ask. If, if you would recognize today, you know what? There are some emotional components of my life that need healing in order for God to do all that he wants to do in and through me and activate it in my life. Then I'm going to just ask you from wherever you are just to get up, come down here and let me pray for you. So if that's you and you'd like for me to pray for you, I know it's a little awkward, but if you would say, you know what? There's some emotional components of my life that need healing. I tell you what, everybody stand up, and those who want prayer, Mitch, come uh, and play for us. If you would like prayer, just come to the front. say your own prayer, you can just receive however God leads you in these moments ahead. Lord God, I thank you for those who have come and who are standing before you right now. Lord, we all recognize that we have been hurt. Our emotions have been damaged either by something someone's done to us or we've done to ourselves or just because of the dirt of the right now, 
we ask for your healing power to be activated in our lives. That the Spirit of God would work his way out from us and touch our emotions and free us from the damage and the bondage that has come on us as a result of this, where we don't think right about you or others or ourselves. We, we, we've lost compassion or empathy for others. We are, we are not, we're not walking in confidence. We are, we're letting the problems of the world overwhelm us rather than walking in faith. And Lord, today, we as an act of faith say no more. And instead, we receive the healing that comes from you. Lord, we understand it, it might not be instantaneous. It may, not, it may be a process of walking it out. Maybe we need others to, to help us walk this journey out and to help see our emotions heal. But today, Lord, we take the first step in recognizing that we're hurt and then saying, Lord, heal us. Heal us. We believe that the gospel is the power of God. We believe that the resurrection power of Jesus lives within us. We believe that the person of the Holy Spirit fills and indwells us. And we pray for healing right now. We pray for freedom. Lord, we just receive from you. Touch us, free us, heal us. Lord, flip this so that we can indeed love our enemies. Lord, flip this so that we can indeed forgive as you've forgiven us. Lord, flip this so that we can, we can walk as you can. And when we walk out of here, we'll see people in a different light. Even the person who's hurt us right now, I pray God, it, it, if that's the case, that you will give us a way to love and pray for them. Forgive them. Walk in life rather than bondage. Thank you. Lord, we recognize the hurt may be great, but the grace is greater. The love is greater, so Lord, move among us. Just receive right now. Mitch is just going to sing over us. You want to just stay here and just receive. Just do that. If you would like someone to pray for you, actively pray for you. Maybe you're here and you would like someone to pray for you for healing or direction 